Welcome to WADA, ADA Live Talk Radio, brought to you by Southeast ADA Center, your leader for information, training, and guidance on the Americans with Disabilities Act. And here's your host. Hi, everybody, and good afternoon. Welcome to WADA, ADA Live. On behalf of the Southeast ADA Center, the Burtonblatt Institute at Syracuse University, and the ADA National Network, I want to welcome you to Episode 61 of ADA Live. I'm Barry Whaley. I'm the Project Director here at the Southeast ADA Center, and I'm your host. On today's episode of ADA Live, we celebrate National Disability Employment Awareness Month, NDEAM. October is our opportunity to recognize the contributions people with disabilities make in the workforce and spread the word to employers that they should always consider people with disabilities when hiring employees. Before we begin, and as a reminder, you can submit your questions about people with disabilities in the workforce at any time at adalive.org. It's my pleasure now to introduce today's guest, Jenny Stonemeyer, the Executive Director of the Association of People Supporting Employment First, APSE, APSE. APSE is the only national organization to fo focus exclusively on the inclusive employment and career advancement opportunities for people with disabilities, and it's an organization that I have been a member of for nearly 30 years now. So Jenny, hello, welcome to the show, and happy Disability Employment Awareness Month. Hi, Barry. Thank you. Happy Disability Employment Awareness Month to you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, very welcome. Before we get into talking about employment first, can you tell us a little bit about APSI and the role of chapters and, and some of the benefits of membership? Of course. As you, as you mentioned, APSI is the only national organization that's focused exclusively on inclusive employment and career advancement for people with disabilities. Um, and we do that because we are a membership association. Um, individuals choose to be members of APSI, which means that anyone in the country can join. Um, however, like most people, we're longing for a sense of community and individuals are, um, trying to find people with whom they share values and priorities and with whom they can with whom they can find a connection. Um, and that's really the purpose of APSI is a an organization of like-minded folks who are working within this disability space, um, really focused on competitive integrated employment opportunities for individuals with disabilities. And when we say individuals with disabilities, we mean individuals with all disabilities, all individuals with all disabilities. Um, we are not a disability-specific organization. Um, we are truly a big tent and, and an inclusive community. So we're hoping that people find personal and professional connections and our APSI chapter structure is the way that, that folks often are, are able to make those connections. We are at APSI National are the national organization and our chapters um, are, are 
groups of individuals who are living in this in living and or working in a state who come together to organize themselves as um, an organization essentially but they are, it's a chapter structure so when they organize at the state level they have the ability to host events to provide training to network both personally and professionally and most importantly to mobilize um, for advocacy purposes around local issues that very often the national organization, we just don't have the ability to be responsive to. So becoming an APSI member means that you can connect to colleagues and peers and others in your state while also receiving all of the benefits of being part of the national organization. And our members are not just individuals, they are businesses, they are organizations that are providing services, employment services and other services for people with disabilities. Um, they are corporate partners, they are businesses that are interested in employing people with disabilities. So we're really a diverse group of people, um, but we are brought together around a shared set of values focusing on competitive integrated employment for people with disabilities. Thanks, Jenny. And yeah, like I said, I've, I've been a member of APSI for 30 years. And when you attend events or uh, are, are part of this organization, you do feel a, a, a real community, a real connection with people. And, and, and really, even beyond that, lifelong friendships that I, I've made with folks as well. So, so APSI, as, as I, I said in our, in our introduction, the Association for People Supporting Employment First, and that's kind of a curious term, employment first. Can you, can you tell us what that is? Employment first is a movement. It's not a policy, it's not a plan, um, it's not even really an initiative. It is, um, it is a movement of individuals across the country who are focused on providing meaningful employment, fair wages, and career advancement for people with disabilities. Um, we are really a values-based organization, and Employment First is the encapsulation of those values that um, anyone working deserves to be paid a real wage and to um, have a real job and to work alongside their non-disabled peers. Um, and when it really comes down to what does employment first mean, um, it's, it's an effort it's, and it's a, an outcome that any individual who's receiving assistance through public dollars, whether they are um, Medicaid dollars or vocational rehabilitation, dollars or any other sort of public support that the first and primary goal for that individual is that they are they are working in competitive integrated employment that they are they are a part of their community in a meaningful way that allows them to live a self-directed life so employment first is is a value proposition it's also um an advocacy movement, and it's also kind of the, the compass by which we do all of our work. That's an excellent answer. Thank you. And, and you know, when we think about the roles that, that, that we, we all have in life, 
you know, certainly uh, two, two of the mo most powerful ones are, are that of being an employee and, and, and being a coworker. So that, that, uh, you know, it helps define who, who, who we are to other people. Um, so employment first, it, it, when we're thinking about this, each of the individual states, Jenny, how does, how does employment first come about? Is it, is it by legislation or executive order? And, and how many states have employment first? Yeah, the, the answer to your first question is yes. <laughs> um, employment first comes about in, in states through a variety of, of policymaking um, opportunities. And sometimes there is legislation Sometimes there is a directive or an executive order that would typically come from a governor or um, a, a, the highest ranking leader of a state Department of Human Services, if, if that structure exists in states. Um, so the number changes very often, and, um, and we know that there have been uh, Changes happening recently in in Kentucky, for example, um, only a few months ago there was a new executive order. Georgia has recently had a new executive order signed um, in four states, and and the map actually hosts a, a website that has a lot of resources and information, including what we call the Employment First map, that shows states and what kind of um, legislation or executive order, if any, they may have in their state. So four states have a directive or an ex legislation directive or an executive order. Um, 13 states actually have legislation that support employment first. Um, and 16 states have a directive or an executive order, and 17 states have what, what the researchers call other employment first activity, which is maybe an initiative, maybe a proclamation, maybe um, something that is less, uh, less politically toothy, <laughs> if I can use that. I, it, it doesn't have a lot of teeth. Um, in terms of enforcement, but it is a statement of, of values and, and support. So it's certainly um, still, if we talk about incremental change, it's definitely a positive step towards incremental change. And there's only one state in the country that doesn't have any kind of activity related to employment first. So it's, it's very broad across the country. Um, and I think that diversity of legislation or policy or the diversity of policy making procedure is is really indicative of how states manage their own their own political cultures and their own um, their own way of doing things so um, but the good news is that across the vast majority of the country there is some sort of governmental declaration of support for the values of employment first. Oh, that's great. Th thanks, Jenny. Since we are celebrating National Disability Employment Awareness Month, let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about em employment policy and, and, and what's going on nationally. Um, 
you know, Jenny, each month the, the Office of, of Disability Employment Policy, ODEP, they, 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 they publish employment statistics. And I, every, every month I, I take a look at those statistics kind of as a, a barometer of, of, of how we're doing. Um, we know that in, in August, the, the last reporting months, the, that the numbers show that the unemployment rate for people with disabilities is, is right around 8%, which at this point is now double the rate uh, for people who do not identify as having a disability. I'm wondering, how can employment first help close that gap? Yeah, it's a great question. So we already we already talked about um, this idea that employment first is, is based on the outcome that people with disabilities are working. Um, and not only that they're working, but they're working in competitive, integrated employment settings, which means that they are able to live self-directed lives. Um, we know that when people with disabilities do not have access to, or they aren't supported in integrated settings, they're more likely to need other publicly funded services and support. And so the short answer is that employment first initiatives help employ people and that reduces the unemployment rates. It, Employment first initiatives also help really spread the the message that individuals with disabilities are primarily individuals. They are they are individuals first. They are people first, um, and that just like everyone else in the country, they want to work and they want to work in meaningful jobs. Um, and so there's not only the, the policy and the, um, you know, how do we use our public funds? We wanna make sure that people with disabilities are, are given opportunities um, and supported to find meaningful employment. Um, but there's also the, the messaging component that Employment First initiatives can, can get involved with and helping to dispel the myths with employers about um, the, the myths that exist around employing people with disabilities that, oh, it's expensive or, oh, it's hard or, oh, it's, I don't, I, I don't know it. Um, we know that these myths exist and, and we certainly know that these myths exist within employment and, and around ADA issues as well. So um, employment first can serve both as the, the, the policy push to decrease unemployment rates for people with disabilities. And it also serves as the messaging campaign to start conversations in communities about what do we want for our community? Do we want all people to be able to live independently and contribute to society in the ways that we all do? And do we want them to live self-directed lives? So it's there, there are so many other functions and factors that Employment First can contribute to, but I really feel like those are the two primary contributions that Employment First can make to reducing the, the unemployment rates for folks with disabilities. Right. Th thanks, Jenny. <clears throat> you, you mentioned the ADA a minute ago, and obviously we are with the Southeast ADA Center here at Burton Blatt Institute. So, I'm 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 curious. What's the intersection? What role does ADA Title One play in in supporting employment first? 
I, I say that the ADA is the foundation upon which employment first stands. Um, without the ADA, individuals with disabilities would be at risk of segregation and isolation and institutionalization. Um, moreover, the, the ADA serves as the roadmap um, for employers and businesses and governments to be more inclusive, both physically in terms of buildings and transit systems, but also in terms of building a workplace culture that recognizes strengths and assets of individuals while creating flexibility within the workplace that allows employers to capitalize on the skills of their workers. So the ADA is, is really the, the base of everything that we're doing. With, without the ADA, this would be a, a much different conversation. Um, and, a, and I believe that without the ADA, we would be looking at very, very different statistical situations for as it relates to employment for people with disabilities. So um, I, I, think, I think the ADA is, is pretty much everything. Great, and, and as you mentioned, not only Title I, but, but, but those Title II issues as well in regard to state and local governments and, and transportation. Uh, ADA Live listening okay. audience, if, if you have questions about employing people with disabilities or any of our other ADA Live topics, you can submit your question at any time to our online forum. That's adalive.org. Um, and I want to pause for a minute uh, for a word about National Disability Employment Awareness Month. Observed each October, National Disability Employment Awareness Month, NDEAM, celebrates the contributions of individuals with disabilities in the workforce throughout American history and promotes the value of a workforce inclusive of diverse skills and talents. The theme for NDEAM 2018 is America's Workforce Empowering All. For more information, resources, and ideas, visit their website at dol.gov slash ndeam. Also, the third Wednesday of October is Disability Mentoring Day, DMD, which promotes career development for students and job seekers with disabilities through hands-on career exploration and ongoing mentoring. Learn more and get involved at www aapd.com slash disability hyphen mentoring hyphen day or just google disability mentoring day in addition check out the videos and toolkit from the campaign for disability employment at work it's what people can do that matters visit their website at www.whatcanyoudocampaign.org all right, we're back and we're speaking with Jenny Stonemeyer, the executive director of APSI. Um, Jenny, in, in June, uh, the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics released a report on, on disability and labor force characteristics. <clears throat> um, I wonder if you could talk about some of the highlights from the, from the 2017 data for us. These are always really interesting data sets. And I think the thing that stood out to me the most were the numbers related to employment. And, and those numbers tell us that 18.7% of people with disabilities were employed 
compared to 65.7% of non-disabled individuals, while only 9.2% of people with disabilities were unemployed compared to 4.2% of non-disabled individuals. So when you, when you look at the numbers individually, they're, they're, they're pretty staggering <laughs> um, that only 18% of people with disabilities are employed. And then you compare that to the non-disabled population, individuals without, who do not identify as having a disability, and their employment rate is 65.7%. And that, that gulf between those two numbers is pretty staggering to me. Um, the unemployment rate, while still starkly in contrast to one another, they feel a little bit closer together. The unemployment rate for people with disabilities is 9.2% compared to a 4.2% unemployment rate for people who don't identify as having a disability. That's, that's uh, it's twice, it's 100% more. Um, and yet those numbers still feel, still feel relatively, um, closer together and and a little bit less staggering and we'll talk about more of these numbers as as the conversation goes on but it's really important I think when we when we look at these data to understand that the statistics are are extrapolated from only 60,000 households and while I have every confidence in sampling methods and statistical analyses of the reporting agency, it's still a very small sample size, given the fact that there are 320 million-ish people in the United States. So if we look at 60,000 households, it's a, it's a very small number. So I always read these numbers with um, a very critical eye. And I usually end up asking more questions about the numbers than I feel like I get answers for. But they're really, they're really important for us to, to pay attention to um, as, a, as a society. And, and the fact that the Bureau of Labor Statistics is even reporting on these data is, is really important as well. Right, I, I I agree, and you you know those 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 numbers are reflected going back to the the monthly statistics we see from from ODEP. <clears throat> I mean those those numbers stay pretty constant. A couple of things, Jenny. One is is that it seems to me that if we're discussing 320 some odd million people in the country, we're looking at an aging population. And, and, and as you age, that prevalence or that likelihood of disability um, increases. And, and I'm sure that that factors into um, uh, the, these statistics as well. And, you know, one thing that caught my eye as, as, as I read through the report, um, you know, thinking about where people work and what they do, there's, there seem to be an awful lot of people with disabilities who work in service occupations. Wondering if you could talk a little about that. It's a really interesting finding. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Um, and for me, as I kind of hinted at, it's, it's often the case when statistics and large data sets are involved, I end up asking, asking more questions than <laughs> finding answers necessarily. But it is interesting that the percentages are relatively proportionate to each other. That is that 20% um, of 
individuals with disabilities are working in the service industry compared to 17% of individuals who don't identify as a disability. That feels actually pretty, pretty comparable um, to, to one another. I, and it's really difficult to, um, because the data sets are just a snapshot, it's really difficult to dig any deeper into, you know, drawing out what is what does that mean for us in terms of the jobs? I I do believe that it it may represent a workforce sector that has recognized the contributions of workers with disabilities in the ways that other sectors have yet to do. And I have this sort of alternative interpretation, which is that the data may indicate that employers in service sectors are more focused on finding good candidates, hiring them, and then training them versus other sectors that expect a certain level of education and training before the candidate gets hired. So this theory, and, and I stress that it is only a theory, and it's only my theory as far as I know, um, but I feel like this theory is supported by the fact by the finding in the in the report that people with disabilities are much less likely to be employed compared to non-disabled individuals, even when they have the same education level, which means that an individual with a disability who is who has achieved a bachelor's degree is still going to have a harder time finding a job compared to an individual who does not have a disability who also have, has a bachelor's degree. And so it's when we look at those two data points together, it certainly raises some questions about why is one sector um, seemingly more open to the opportunity of hiring individuals with disabilities compared to other sectors of the workforce. That that that's interesting and and, and very insightful. I I am just kind of thinking through what you're saying there. Um, you know, the, the there was a bit of good news in 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 the report, and and that was that in fact the unemployment rate for people with disabilities had declined uh, compared to the 2016 numbers. And and why why do you think that is? I I would love to believe that it it is a true representation that um, that it indicates that more people with disabilities have have um, have seen positive gains in employment um, but the pragmatic side of me knows that data are not always effective at telling the complete story so yes on the surface it's an indicator of change that is definitely positive um, but I also think that we have to, again, have to consider it with other data points as well. And primarily, the other data point that I keep looking at is the labor participation rate. Um, and that is, that labor participation rate is the number of individuals who are actively participating in finding a job. Maybe they have a job or maybe they consider themselves unemployed and they're actively looking for a job. But the labor participation rate, um, if we consider employment data to be made up of three indicators, those who are employed, those who are not employed, and those who are no longer looking for work, 
but are also not employed. Those folks are not participating in the labor force. And that's the number, the number of, of individuals who are no longer participating in the labor force. That's the number that I find to be the most important. The labor participation rate for people with disabilities has been slowly but steadily declining since 2009. Right now, in 2017, which is the, the data that's being reported in this Bureau of Labor Statistics report, fully 80% of individuals with disabilities are no longer seeking employment. And to me, that indicates a systemic problem that goes beyond employment or unemployment statistics. Yeah, that's that, that you, you, you know, unemployment rate just only only shows a, a part part of what's going on, and you're absolutely right. Labor force participation is 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 of great concern. You know that 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 eighty percent of people who identify as having a disability are on the economic sidelines and 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 have just given up or are not looking for work. Um, I'm wondering who 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 are those folks who who are are who compose that eighty percent. Um, is there a way to characterize them? I think that there are, at the risk of making assumptions about data, which is is um, tempting and and it's easy to do. Um, I think that it's a population of people who have either given up in looking um, for employment. They may have had a change in life circumstance. Um, where that that has prevented them from looking for employment. Um, the other the other factor the, we talked about the aging um, population in a previous comment that you made. I think it, it's important to note that the labor participation rate is limited to the population between the ages of 18 and 65. So it would be it would be tempting to say that the labor participation rate has gone down, meaning that individuals are are just no longer looking for jobs because they are aging. But we know that the the data reflect that 80% number saying that 80% of individuals with disabilities are not participating in the labor force. That number is. Um, reflective of the population of what we would typically consider working age between 18 and 65. Right. So, um, I again, I think that there are there are a lot of um, fairly factually based assumptions that we can make about these these statistics and these data, um, but. It's really an opportunity for researchers to dig in and get get us some more concrete answers um, by doing follow up studies, and which is which is the role that researchers play in this work. And and so um, we we may not know. Right, right. Well, th thank you, Jenny. Um, Jenny, we are about out of time, and and so as I like to do, I want you to pull out your crystal ball that, that you keep under your desk, and dust it off, and and tell us a little bit what you think the future of employment uh, for people with disabilities um, will be. 
I think the future of employment for people with disabilities is genuinely bright. I and um, I am a fairly pragmatic person. I think that I've, <laughs> I've, in my answers in this conversation, have, have proven that I'm I'm not the sunshine and roses kind of person all the time. Um, but I really truly believe that employment for people with disabilities is um, is a, a growing sector within our general workforce in this country. And the reason that I believe that is because of the ongoing interest and conversation and media coverage about the value that workers with disabilities bring to any workplace. Um, value all the way from bottom line efficiency and reliability and hardworking and they show up on you know they show up on time they do their work they go above and beyond so their their contribution to the workforce is is recognized as well as the the contribution that having a diverse workplace culture brings to any workplace. And I feel like those conversations are happening more and more. And they're they're happening in mainstream media more and more as opposed to off off on the fringes. It's no longer in disability scoop, which is a, you know, sort of our primary primary news outlet for disability related issues. It's no longer just disability scoop that's talking about employment for people with disabilities. It's Forbes magazine talking about it. It's LinkedIn putting out resources for job seekers with disabilities that are exclusively focused on, on that population of folks. It's becoming more and more mainstream. It's the fact that 49 states in our country have some sort of employment first action, which is a a political system, a governmental structure that recognizes the value that that employers and employees with disabilities can bring to the workplace. Those are the indicators that I base my opinion that employment for people with disabilities is going up and in is being shined in the best light possible. Well said, Jenny. Um, thank you so much. Listeners, our guest today has been Jenny Stonemeyer, the Executive Director of the Association of People Supporting Employment First. That's APSI. Um, might want to check out their website, APSI.org. Consider membership. Uh, I want to thank you again for being with us today, Jenny. This episode and all previous ADA episodes are available on our, our website at adalive.org. Uh, the episodes are archived in a variety of formats, including streamed audio from our website, accessible transcripts of audio, and are available to download as a podcast on the SoundCloud uh, platform. Uh, I want to thank you, our ADA Live listening audience, for tuning in today. We're always thankful for your support and listening to our series of ADA Live broadcasts. Um, remember, if you uh, have questions, you can submit those at any time at adalive.org. And most importantly, if you have questions, concerns uh, about the Americans with Disabilities Act, 
you can contact your regional center at 1-800-949-4232. And remember, those calls are always free and they're confidential. Thank you for listening to ADA Live Talk Radio. Brought to you by the Southeast ADA Center. Remember to join us the first Wednesday of each month for another ADA topic. And you can call 1-800-949-4232 for answers to your ADA questions.